Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is February 20th, 2022, and we just wrapped up the Minneapolis Supercross last night. It's Sunday morning, so I'm just trying to get this out to you as quickly as possible. I know some of you appreciate having some content, uh, whether it's Sunday night or Monday morning on your commute. And pretty good race, right? I thought that you know we were really due for a change in the 250 class. It had gotten pretty stale, and these East guys, uh, they delivered. Um, and then the 450 class, we have so many storylines across the gamut to, uh, to get into and cover that there's always something to talk about there. Before we do, let's thank the sponsors of this podcast. Pirelli Tires, check out those MX32 mini tires. I think those are going to be a huge hit long term. Plum Creek Funding has expanded. They have partnered up with other brokerages and lending firms in other states so they can get you the best deal in your state possible. So reach out to Zach. See what he can do for you. And honestly, mortgage rates are going up as quickly as you know, maybe we've ever seen in history. Uh, we're back to pre-COVID levels, and I think we're only going higher to fight inflation. So you might want to act quickly. If you're even in the market for it, just, just reach out to Zach, 720-212-4685, and uh, just see what the situation is. He's going to be honest with you. If there's nothing to do, there's nothing to do. But you could really save yourself a lot of money over the long term. Guts Racing, we got to see RJ Hampshire in that 250 East class on his Guts Racing Rockstar Husqvarna with uh, custom seat, custom graphics, all those things, which you can do for your bike too. So reach out to Guts Racing and check that out. Pro Glow Wash, promo code MOTO15. Get to see Ryan next week in Dallas. They're based in Shreveport, so he gets to cruise over there and check out a race. So I'll be, uh, be thrilled to spend some time with the Pro Glow Wash guys. Fast Foundry, you know who won? You know who almost won? Works Connection. They use a pro-launch start device, both factory Honda guys and Roxon, and it's not, it's not a coincidence that these guys are at the front every single time. That pro-launch start device is proven. It's why these factory teams like Monster Star Yamaha and factory Honda, these guys use Works Connection because it works. Grandstone Boots, thank you to them. They're all, they've had my back since day one, since they got off the ground, and I uh, really appreciate it. They always keep me in style. Fast Foundry, Robert Carrico got to come to the race this week, flew over from Boise, check out the race, and you should check out Fast Foundry because it can help your small business, it can help your company that maybe you work at. They have solutions for the challenges that lay ahead. You can see how, how difficult it's going to be for many businesses. It's going to get more difficult to borrow money if you're a small business. So you need to be as efficient as possible. I think that business is going to be really challenging for the next 24 months for a lot of people because this tightening cycle, this quantitative tightening that the Federal Reserve is going to do is going to have several 
ripple effects throughout the economy. This is no joke. Uh, they have to get inflation under control. So you need to make sure your business is in the best position possible to deal with any challenges that lay ahead. So reach out to Robert at Fast Foundry and Fly Racing. That's my day job. I'll be there tomorrow again. And uh, yeah, love everything they do. They support every avenue that I have. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much my life's work at this point. I've been there almost a decade and uh, hopefully we'll be there another decade. So let's jump into it. Jet Lawrence, he got it done, right? I, uh, I don't think it was a dominant performance. He really couldn't check out on the field. I mean, he wasn't under pressure by any means, but if anybody was looking for him to run away and have a 15 second lead and all that kind of stuff, then you know, they were disappointed. But I think this is what Jet does. He is a great race manager and he also happens to be incredibly fast and incredibly talented. What I like the most about Jet's racecraft and who he is as a rider is he can go the pace to win and he's not on the edge. You don't see him having close calls. You don't see him crashing his brains out in qualifying practice. You don't see him throwing races away. All the things that his competitors do from RJ to Forkner to McAdoo to, you know, all these guys. I want to say J-Mart, but not all the time is it J-Mart's fault. I don't really think J-Mart's riding out of control. He's just had a, a really rough go as far as Supercross goes and injuries go. But Jet doesn't do that. He is so wise in his racecraft beyond his years, and I love that about him. And he's been my pick to win this series all along. Um, so yeah, that was par for the course. It's what I expect from him. And I think as you see these guys behind him have bad nights, I think you're just going to see Jet chug along, and you're going to see him win this title pretty easily. That's my prediction. Who knows, right? I'm, it, predictions are always a dangerous thing, but that's what I see happening for Jet is just... Week in and week out, if he doesn't win, okay, no problem. Like maybe RJ has a phenomenal night. Maybe J-Mart shows up one night, or like Daytona, and Jet just has to settle for a second or a third or whatever. That's fine, because I think Jet is going to be there week in and week out every single time. And guess what? That equals championships, especially in a chaotic class like this 250 East is going to turn out to be. Austin Forkner? Pretty good job, right? Like he had a, a kind of a chaotic day. He was fast, but crashing. He's just doing really ill-advised things in the heat race, like jumping into the side of Phil Nicoletti. That was a really stupid move. He's lucky they both didn't go down there. Um, and that was pure anger on that move. Like he was pissed that Phil, Phil passed him. He was pissed that he was making mistakes and going backwards in the heat race. So he jumps to the inside where there's no room. That was really dumb. And I, I would tell him to his face it was really dumb. It worked out. He made the move after almost crashing. But you're in like fourth or fifth in the heat race. Just pass Phil back. You're, you're faster than Phil. As you proved in the main event, you got second. You don't have to take a huge chance right there. You could have, he could have ended his season right there, right? He high sides, hurts himself, does something dumb. Those are the types of moves that I don't think you would ever see Jet Lawrence do. And that kind of goes back to my prior point. Those are the types of moves I think RJ would do if he was mad. I think that Forkner does because he's just not able to manage his emotions in the moment. You can't do that. You have to make smart decisions if you want to be strong over the course of nine races or whatever it is. So we'll see if it comes up to bite him. That time it worked out. I don't think long term that it's going to work out, but he got on the podium. I, I thought he did a really nice job of bouncing back in that main event after the chaos of the heat because for sure he was pissed off. He is not paid to get fourth in the heat or whatever he got after 
those guys ran away from him at the front. Like he had nothing for them. So I thought he showed uh, some poise there. He overcame some adversity. He got a great start in the main event, which is key, right? You have to get starts to avoid all of that drama. It just helps so much. You don't, you don't get caught up in other people's crap. Like if there are people crashing and wanting to get aggressive with you, you're ahead of all that. And he has the speed to run away once he gets the start. McAdoo, who I, you know, the, the Lawrence brothers affectionately, or maybe not affectionately, nicknamed him Whackers, which I love. And I know Cam hates it. I know he doesn't want us to call him Whackers, but I love it. So I'm going to continue to do it. I don't mean it negatively. I'm a huge McAdoo fan, but I love that Whackers nickname. It's just awesome. But Whackers got it done. I mean, he had so many close calls throughout the day. So many. Uh, in the whoops, I mean, he tagged tough blocks with his front wheel and his fork leg, which is almost an instant crash most of the time, and he, and he got away with it. I just was watching him, like, like, jerking in my seat the whole time because he was so on the edge. But I think that's what it takes for him to ride at the front. And it's unfortunate because I think it will bite him. I think those things catch up with you. But if you're looking at it, if you're Forkner, you're McAdoo, you're J-Mart, you're Hampshire, and you're like, dude, you got to back it down. You got to chill. You're going to crash. Think about what's on the line, right? For them to win a race, it's every bit of 50 grand. Maybe more like 100 if they bought insurance clauses on themselves, which like I know McAdoo has done in the past. I'm sure these other guys do as well. There's so much money at stake to get a win, to get a podium. Think about a championship, right? If you won three or four races plus a title, you could make every bit of 800, a million, a million dollars, 800,000, a million, something like that. Like maybe that's the high end of the range, but that's what's at stake. That's why these guys are willing to take huge chances, like really put their safety at risk because there's life changing money on the other end of it if they can succeed. And that's not even counting the new contract they would sign for 2023, 2024, whatever the case may be, right? That's why they're going for it is because the money and the financial incentive is gigantic to do so. So I, I, I get it. I just don't know that it's going to always work out. You know, if typically if you're riding on the edge like those guys are, it catches up with you. It bites you in the worst way. You see, you've seen Hampshire over the years just crash his brains out. Of course, we saw McAdoo last year with just spectacular crashes. Luckily, he didn't get severely hurt in those. But those are the risks they're taking. And they know they're taking risks. Like, they get it. Trust me. You don't crash that many times without it you know, coming to the realization that maybe you're taking a lot of risk. But listen, if you ask most people, hey, would you take some chance for a hundred grand tonight or 50 grand or the upside on the back end of several hundred thousand. And most people would probably say yes. And for them, they're, they're highly trained professionals. They're assuming the risk and you know, for spectators, it's the entertainment value is super high. Um, I just watch it and I'm like, Oh my God, these guys are going to, they're going to crash. Like it's, it's a matter of time when you're pushing the limit like that. I don't think it's sustainable to ride on the edge for two months straight. Like you just can't, it's going to bite them. Jmart, not bad, not terrible, not great. I thought it was kind of eh, right? Um, he's not on the podium, which is a big deal for him. I'm sure he wanted to be on the podium. I don't think he could consider it a success at the first round without being on the podium. But a fourth is not catastrophic either. Well, you remember last year at Orlando, he DNF'd, hurt himself out for the season. Like that's catastrophic. So 
I look at it as he got through the first race. He's going to take a step forward. He gets to go to Arlington and do it over again with less pressure. You're a little bit more in the groove. The one thing he needs to be careful of is Jet Lawrence winning that first round and already getting, what, eight points on him, something like that. That's what he needs to be mindful of is you need to keep this within striking range points-wise. It's okay to ease into this thing. It's okay to, to rack up points. But if Jet's going to go on a winning streak, you're going to wake up at Daytona in two weeks and be like, oh, crap, I'm already down 12 points. you know. And I'm sure Daytona will be great for J-Mart, and maybe he wins there. But you don't want to have this great Daytona win and still be down nine points on Sunday after the race. That's, that's what you don't want. You want to reel that points gap in a little bit this week and go into Daytona with like, man, if I kill it tonight, I can leave here with the points lead. That's the kind of dynamic you want. You don't want to be Daytona as your lifeline to get back into this thing. So it's really early. We obviously don't have any real trends yet. It's just one race. But if you're looking out, you're seeing how this could develop. If you're J-Mart, you just need to, Jet's, Jet's really the one you need to watch for. You just, you know, I think he is your biggest threat because I think he knows how to manage a series after that national championship last year. And I think he's riding well within his means and winning, which is a very scary thing. The other guys are all over the place. They're not going to be consistent, in my opinion. I do not believe that. I think you're gonna see crazy results. I think you're gonna see crashes. So for J-Mart, the worry is Jet. That's who you're worried about. The other guys, to me, they can podium, they can win. I get all that. But to me, they are kind of noise, quote unquote noise in this series where Jet is the real threat. RJ is the last guy I have a note on for 250s. I mean, it's, it's a typical RJ day. Crashes, flipping down the whoops, like setting the fastest lap right after that. Like it, that's just RJ, right? If you were trying to create RJ's kind of dynamic in a nutshell, that would be it. Crashes spectacularly, gets up, then does the fastest lap the next lap. That's just who he is. And I could never identify that. That wasn't my style of racing at all. When I did it, I was more like chug along at the same pace the whole time. He has so much top end speed. He just needs to find a way to harness that. Easier said than done, right? Like I don't, I don't know how he can back it down a little bit and still be the fastest guy or fast enough to win. And I think that's the trouble is the only way he can be up there and battle for podiums is to be on the razor's edge. He doesn't have that gear where he's cruising, not out of control and can win. And that's what I think Jet does. I think when J-Mart is like in Daytona, I think he does. We've seen those guys outdoors win consistently. They know how to do that sometimes. I don't think RJ does yet at all. And that's his plight. That's what he has to deal with is he has to know that every time he lines up, he's like, if I'm going to win, I have to send it. And there are dire consequences that are possible. There's also a win on the other side too, right? It's, it's feast or famine when you're going to take chances like that. And I, don't, I think RJ has just signed himself up for that. I think he always has. I think he is willing to assume that risk where other guys just aren't. So we'll see how it goes. I could see him crashing a bunch this series, and I could also see him battling for wins. I just think that's how his series will continue to go. It's how it's kind of always gone for him. Overall for the 250 class, pretty wild day. There were crashes everywhere. And if you were there, 
If you were watching race day live, you saw many of them. I mean, guys jumping off the track, landing on the plywood, just flipping through the air. It was craziness. The rhythm sections are really tough. Guys were riding way over their head, crashing in the whoops. Like it, it was a pretty spectacular day as far as crashes go. A lot of highlight reel type stuff. Instagram, Instagram was, uh, was live with um, all kinds of wild stuff throughout the day and night. I think it's a, you know, it's a really good class. It's much deeper than the West. So we're going to get some really intense racing, you know, less jet just makes it boring every week. I think, you know, if he starts fifth, it's going to get real dicey because I think guys are going to try to get really aggressive with him and get him off his game. I could be wrong, but I think if you're Forkner, if you're Wackers, if I don't know Jmart so much, but I think those guys are going to really try to go for the jugular on jet if they get the chance, because I think they feel they have to. I don't think that they dislike Jed at all. He's, he's so happy-go-lucky, and I think he's very likable. But I think they realize if they want to beat him, they're going to have to take the fight to him. The tough part is you got you got to do it off the start because if you let him get out front, he has too much speed, and he'll just run away. So watch for that. We'll see what happens. The 450 class, uh, we do these power rankings, and uh, I did it last week, and I forgot Mookie. For those of you who listened last week, you DM'd me or on Vital or whatever – I forgot Mookie last week. I was doing it in my car and trying to manage all these things, and I completely skipped over Mookie. He was supposed to be number six. Clearly, he deserves to be up there. Um, it was just an oversight on my part. So uh, I did take some heat on Vital for uh, putting Cooper Webb still in my top five. And guess what? Cooper Webb got second this weekend. Probably should have got third. So for all of you that were hating on me on Vital about Webb, how about that? How do you feel now? And I'm not saying Webb is on fire by any means. I'm just saying you have to just frame out a little bit, right? Just scope out a little bit over time, big picture, and don't be so victim of the moment with every reaction. You know, this sport, and I get it, it's head, everything's a headline and everything is so reactionary. But guys, this is a 17-round series and trends change Things change as the dirt does, as the climate does, as the season wears on, you see things evolve and develop. And that's what I'm trying to keep in mind when I do these power rankings. And I, I get it. Like Vital's a place where, you, you know, everybody wants to criticize everything. That's fine. I didn't even go on there. I don't care if people dislike or like or agree or disagree. Totally fine to have their own opinion. But I'm not going to change my opinion based off of yours. I can tell you that. I'm going to base my opinion off of what I see and what I know and my opinion. So without further ado, number 10, Aaron Plessinger. And not the most ideal day for Plessinger. He was okay. I mean, he crashes off the first fake start. And you're like, oh my God, did he just ruin his season off this stupid fake start? But he was able to fight through a hand injury or whatever was going on. He ends up getting, uh, what do he get, 6th, 7th, 7th, I think, on the night. Pretty good finish for him. Uh, Tomac did get him late. I think he was really trying to fight Tomac off there. Was unable to, which is understandable. Tomac's on a really good form right now. But I think 10th is fair. It's not been a great season. You know, he had that one breakout ride at Oakland, and the rest of it's kind of been just shrug your shoulders. Like, not great, not horrible at times. I'm just kind of wait and see on Plessinger, but I think 10 is pretty fair. Number nine, Ken Roxon. Listen, I don't know what to do with Kenny. I, I saw flashes of brilliance last night, but I also saw the same Kenny where he just looks like he's in no man's land. 
Then he crashes, just slides out. The same thing Mookie did. That wasn't really anything that would affect the power rankings, but I just don't see that dynamic Ken Roxon that looks like he's the best rider in the world. I don't see that right now, and I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if it's... I would assume it's a combination of mental, physical, confidence, all those things, all kind of snowballing in the wrong direction. But I put him at nine, and that's the lowest I've ever had him. Like I, can't, I could not imagine a time where I would put him at nine because I hold him in such high esteem. I think he is one of the most skillful riders we've ever seen. Doesn't mean he's the best racer or has the most accolades or anything. I'm just saying skills on a motorcycle, racecraft, confidence, starting, technique. I think he's one of the best to ever do it. I think there are riders that are much stronger mentally. There's no question about that. That's his, to me, his weak point is the mental fortitude. When it, when it gets tough, not injury-wise. We all know that story's been beaten to death, how much he's come back from. But I'm saying when, when you're in the, in the midst of the fight and you're having to battle the likes of Webb and Tomac and Anderson and all these guys who are cutthroat aggressive, I don't think that's his strong suit. And, and that's not breaking news. I think most people would agree with that. He doesn't like to be in those intense battles. And I think those other guys really prey on that. You know, if you asked Anderson if he would be okay going head-to-head with Roxon on the last lap, I think he would rub his hands together and say, hell yes. You know Webb would too, because you look at the track record and it favors them wildly. So rocks in at nine. It is what it is. Um, and we'll just, we'll wait and see. We'll see if he can sort his way out of this thing. Ferrandis at eight. And I don't know what to make of Ferrandis so much. Um, I mean, the riding is fine. He had so many close calls. He ends up knocking down his teammate and red plate holder, Eli Tomac, at the beginning of the main event. I, obviously, he didn't mean to do that, but if you are Monster Star Yamaha, you're just like, oh my God, just shoot me because your two guys are taking each other down on the face of a triple. Like, and your points leader is the, the, least, you know, the, the lesser of those two. He ends up on the ground. Just a horrible, horrible incident that it's racing, but man, stay away from each other. You just gotta, if you're the, any part of the team, you're just like, can you guys please just not run into each other at all costs? Like, stay away from each other no matter what? Uh, so it really hurt Tomac and the results and the points last night. And then Ferrandis, I don't know. He was okay, but if you were there or able to watch him in practice, you saw the close calls. There were just endless close calls with him in the whoops. He was all over the place. And I don't think that's how he drew it up at all. He's usually uh, much more calculated than that, so... I would be curious to see if they do some, uh, some testing this week for those conditions where you're having to jump through the whoops a little bit more, a little bit more ruddy conditions than we saw on the West Coast because it didn't seem like he was all that dialed in for a, a track like Minneapolis, and I expected him to be. I thought it would help him, and it seemed like it went the other way. Number seven, Marvin Muscan. I mean, he got third last night. He was on it, so I struggle with him at seven, but I'm also looking throughout the season at all the incidents he's been into. I remember that San Diego ride where he went from first to 10th. That really made no sense. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, again, same thing I said a few minutes ago. I'm really trying to look at this as over the course of the entire season. He's been in crashes. He's had some really poor rides. He's had some great rides. He was riding so damn well at A3, crashes himself out of a podium last night 
I don't know, he, he kind of lucked into one. That Sexton crash was pretty unbelievable. Um, but, hey, that's part of it, right? You, if you're there at the right place at the right time, you can find yourself in a good spot, and that's what Marvin did. So seven for Marvin is, I think, some people could look at it and say it's, it's a little unfair. He should be higher. But then you look at the guys in front of him, and you're like, I don't know. Like, they're all so close. Like, this... This, uh, I would say, four through seven is really, really interchangeable. You know, it's, it's a little bit week to week. And I think they are the most uh, subject to kind of a race in, race out type change. Speaking of that, Mookie forgot him at six last week. He still stays at six this week. I, I was about to move him up this week. He wins that heat race, which was, was pretty awesome. Then he crashes. The crash really... Kept him at six for this week. Um, you know, you look at his results, man. He has been so good and consistent this year. Almost top five every week. Um, I think the Alden Baker thing is working. He looks more fit. He looks more confident. Uh, he just made a silly mistake this week, and it cost him. But he is on the verge of moving forward, I think, into that top five as far as the power rankings go. Speaking of top five, Justin Barsha is at five. Great ride at A3. Uh, this week, not quite as flashy, and I thought he would be. I thought this dirt would help him, maybe propel him into a fight for the win. Wasn't awful. Don't get me wrong. Wasn't terrible. I think five is fair. You look at the, the course of the season for him as a whole, it's been solid. He's gotten some podiums. He's been in the fight. I mean, he podiumed the first round, which is huge. He podiums again at A3, which is huge. And I think there are still really good days to come. I think he stays around the top five. For most of the season, he's consistent, he's in shape, he's fast. The starts seem to be the variable for him, and I don't really get that. You look at Justin Barsha's career, I mean, he's made a name for himself as a good starter, and they don't seem to be there right now. So I don't know what that is. Um, you know, I, I guess I could reach out and ask. I don't know that they know either, but something is up. Uh, I saw a stat, I think Racer X posted, like he had been like ninth on the first lap for the first few weeks or the, the last few weeks was his average first lap position was ninth. That is not Justin Barsha like. So uh, maybe there's some, something to that. Could be a bike setting or, or who knows. Um, we know his talent as a starter is much better than ninth though. Number four, Cooper Webb. And I moved him back, which may not make sense to you. He gets second, but I moved him back based on the fact that I don't think he is currently as fast as the three in front of him. And it's taken me a while to get there. When he hole-shotted last night, and I was like, okay, if he, if he goes and wins this thing, I'm leaving him where he's at. I may move him back to two. But I think when Sexton passes him straight up and kind of checks out on him, when Anderson passes him and checks out on him, I think Tomac would have beaten him. Um, I have to. I have to move him down a little bit. And I think it's fair to have him at four. He just got a podium. He's got two podiums so far, two second place finishes. And to me, it was a big sign that he, when we went east, the dirt changed, the whoops changed, and he got better. To me, that's a, a really big deal. And that's kind of what I was waiting on. If he looked like crap in Minneapolis, got eighth again, I would start moving him back quickly because I don't think there was a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. But that finish, that said something. That was a huge improvement. So I have him uh, at four. Even though it was a better finish, I moved him back one because I think it's fair. I think the other guys are riding a little bit better than him right now. 
Number three, Chase Sexton. And oh man, you got to feel terrible for Sexton. He, he had it. He had it won. It was over. It was done. The race was finished. Like Anderson wasn't like going to catch him. None of that. He loses the front end. His front tire slides coming out of that corner. And then it catches on the face of that jump and just ejects him. It was like a, you know, somebody like being on a trampoline and somebody like springing you off the trampoline lands on top of the tabletop with his body, which was unreal, like barrel rolls himself onto it, hits his head, definitely looked woozy. I mean, you see him try to get up and falls down the jump. Um, so certainly want to see how the concussion protocol goes this week for him. But you had to feel terrible for him, man. Like he had a one. He rode so phenomenally well all day and all night did everything he had to do, passes Webb, controls the race. And then you just wonder if that's like a mental mistake. Like he's so close to getting it done. And did he just take his eye off the ball right there at the end, right? I'm sure he knew that he had it. Like it's so late in the race. And you wonder if he started thinking about like what it meant and and the celebration after and how happy his team was going to be and all all those things that can creep into your mind if you let your mind wander a little bit. And I'm not saying that's what happened, but to make a mistake like that at that point in the race, it's certainly possible. Like he just lost concentration for a split second and you can see what happens. You see how quickly this sport going, the speeds they're going can jump up and bite you because that was a huge crash in a really strange spot. I mean, it's easy for me to, to explain what happened as he's coming out of that turn. Your front tire is drifting across that icy, you can see where it's real shiny, that's really slippery right there. That's all well and good, like he's used to that push, but it caught, and when it caught, man, there's so much momentum. When that front tire sticks and stops for half a second, there's so much forward momentum, and he just high sides over the top, and it's not, that's not a common crash at all, um, and, and that's what makes me wonder if he just wasn't quite concentrating enough, right? We saw James Stewart do that for years where he would have these crashes out of nowhere that didn't really make sense. To me, those were lapses in concentration. And that's kind of what I wonder if that's what happened for Sexton is he just, you know, to use another sports phrase, took, took his eye off the ball for just a split second and ended up, ended up on his head. Number two, Jason Anderson. And it's debatable. Now, I, I really almost put him at one. I still have Tomac there because I think Tomek's result was much more, you know, based off of the Ferrandis thing. You know, he came all the way back to sixth. Tomek has been rock solid all the way through this series, and I think he deserved to have the red plate going in. I, I kept him there. I, I really almost put flip-flop these, and we'll see what happens with Anderson as we move forward. He's, he's teetering on going to number one, but you look at Tomek over the years, He's been so much stronger, and this is where I say frame out, right? Expand your horizon a little bit on don't be victim of the moment. I still think Tomac deserves to be one for, for now. We'll see what happens. But I, I'm telling you, if, if Anderson keeps this up, he's going he's gonna to find himself at number one pretty soon. But Anderson, just what a ride. I mean, he, he didn't – I mean, trying to figure out how to frame this without – giving credit to Sexton. Like Anderson did a lot. Like he rode incredibly well, but Sexton was going to win the race, right? It wasn't like Anderson went out there and dominated and just ran away and this was his race. Like Sexton was going to win. So 
for those who, for someone who was an Anderson fan, is like, how could you not have him at one? He blah blah blah. Well, he wasn't going to beat Sexton on the night, so that would be my first pushback. Is like, yeah, he rode great. He was going to get second. That's all well and good. But if Sexton stays up, he gets second. Sexton would have won the race. So, congrats to Anderson. Um, I really like what I'm seeing out of him this year. He has really turned his career around, and and that's a fair statement. I don't. That's not hyperbole. He has completely turned his career around here in 2022. So great job to him. Eli Tomac is number one, as I alluded to. And listen, these things happen. I think the start was the problem. You get your, you get bad starts. You put yourself into harm's way, and bad things will happen to you. You are so much more subject to chaos starting 12th than you are starting 5th or 4th or 3rd. There's just less bad things that can happen to you. Crashes in front of you. There's, you're basically going down straightaways three wide most of the time when you're in 12th. That's just what it is. So the percentage risk of an incident just skyrockets. It just, it's just part of the game. Tomac knows that. It's not like I'm, I'm breaking news to him, but starts, inconsistent starts have been just, you know, a, a part of his repertoire his entire career. They looked like they had gotten better. He just didn't get it this, this time, and you see what can happen. Ferrandis makes a, a huge mistake in front of you, and you get taken down as a part of that. It wasn't Eli's mistake, but you are subject to other people's mistakes when you start in the back. So, that will be the key moving forward. I think if he wants to find himself winning more times than not, he's got to get better starts than that. You see how easy it is for him when he starts at the front. A3, San Diego, Oakland, whatever. Like, Oakland wasn't great, but he stays out of trouble when he starts at the front. Oakland was a bad start, so that's a bad reference. But these races where he's won, if he starts at the front, like Glendale, that was the one I was searching for, Life's pretty easy for him. He's so damn fast. He doesn't make his own mistakes. That's not who Eli is. If, he, if you put him at the front every time, good luck to everybody else. I'll tell you that right now, especially the form he's on on this Yamaha. If he starts top three every race or top five every race, this championship is his. I'm willing to say that right now, but he's not going to. That's the problem. He's not going to start top five every single race. So that opens the door to chance. It opens the door to variance in the results, and it opens the door for guys like Jason Anderson to get in this series and make it a battle for the championship. So to me, that's the key. Everything's dialed for Eli. You have the world in front of you. You have a championship, your what second Supercross championship in front of you if you can sort the starts out. That To me, it's, it's that simple. The bike's good, the riding's good, confidence's good, everything's dialed. Figure out the starts and you will be the 2022 Supercross champion. If you don't, if you continue to start 10th, 12th, 15th, and things go sideways. Maybe you crash. Maybe you get knocked down. Who knows? Then all of the all that goes out the window, and it's anybody's championship because Anderson is absolutely on his game. And I mean, Webb made up a few points last night. He's in the 20, you know, 20 something points out of this thing. He's not an immediate threat, but you let Cooper Webb hang around, and he will figure it out. I'm not even really worried about Webb for the title right now. I'm not, I don't think he should even be in that conversation. But my point is, if you let someone as seasoned and as, you know, has so much championship experience like Cooper Webb does, you let him hang around. You get him down into the teens at like halfway. You know, we leave Daytona. Tomac has another bad race at Arlington or something. And Webb's looking at it. He's like, man, I'm only down like 16 points here. 
That's not what you want. I promise you that is not the situation anyone wants. So it's just something to watch for. I mean, I, for sure, the, the key for Tomac right now is Jason Anderson. That's what he needs to be worried about. But, uh, I mean, he should be in a situation where he should be eliminating everybody. That's the way he's riding. But the bad starts, again, the bad starts are what is going to change that dynamic. It's going to be what keeps all those guys in the championship is you allowing them to hang around because of your bad starts. So that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you to all the sponsors. We will be in Arlington next week. And, uh, yeah, roll into Daytona past that. And then, as Ricky Carmichael would always say, the series doesn't even start until Daytona. A little bit shorter this week, but, um, yeah, 35 minutes is fine. We'll see you next week.